My name is Pastor Scott, and I am really glad um, that you're all here, that we got a nice full house uh, for service. Um, it's a wonderful day, meaningful, powerful, incredible day in the life of the church. Christ has given um, us victory over death. Christ has given us life over death, and we are truly grateful for that. We're going to walk through um, one of the Easter stories this morning. We're going to walk through Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 25. In your uh, pews, there are Bibles in front of you, um, if you'd like to look. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen, and um, we will walk through one of the familiar stories to the church of um, Christ's resurrection and him appearing to the early church and really um, in the flesh, teaching them the truth of the resurrection. As we get ready to gather around God's word together, let's pray for his blessing and his presence um, as we learn from him. We praise you, O God, that you have risen, that that work over death was completed by you on our behalf. And it changes everything. It changes our reality. It changes our future. That we know that death in this life is not the end of our story, but it also changes our present. May we acknowledge, Father, this morning how our present reality is different because the tomb is empty. I pray for those who are here, who do not know you, who do not walk with you, who do not understand. We pray, O God, that in your wisdom and power and the presence of your spirit that you give understanding and give wisdom and bring transformation. And we pray that for all of us regardless of how long many of us have walked with you, that we might continue to learn, grow, be challenged, be changed by the power of your word. And that might move us more fully and completely in love with you. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ and God's people said together. Amen. Amen. If I'm... uh, squinting a little bit. It's because we got more lights this morning. We got some stuff fixed, so it's a little uh, more light up here, so I'm getting used to that. It's, it's, it's also a little warm, so um, it might be unusual if I sweat, because I never sweat when I preach, so um, <laughs> that may happen this morning. From God's Word, Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Now that same day, Two of them, and by two of them, these are people who are uh, followers of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, 
asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them. When he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Emmaus is an ancient village. It's no longer standing as it would have at the time of this story. It's about seven miles away from Jerusalem. It's actually to the north and the west. And many of you know I've been to Israel. And walked much of it because I was with Ray Vanderlaan and because the guy is just a freak of nature and you got to walk everywhere when you go with Ray. But I didn't walk this particular road, but I walked many like it. And on any given day when we were hiking along with Ray, doing the learning and growing that we did over the course of the two weeks that we were there, it wasn't unusual for our group to walk somewhere between 15 and 18 miles a day. So I can have a little bit of empathy with Cleopas and his friend. Really, as we hear the story, 14 miles of hiking. Seven of them was with Jesus. And obviously, that's where we want to spend a little bit of time thinking. Now, if we consider, the ground is probably 
the road, the road wouldn't have certainly not been like roads that we understand. Probably even our um, most undeveloped dirt road would be better than some of the roads that these men were walking. If we understand that it would have been a little bit of a tough road to walk, and the average human being, when they're walking, can walk anywhere between three and six miles an hour, depending on how fast they're going. We're talking about a journey of anywhere between maybe two and three hours. Two and three hours in which Jesus, Cleopas, and the other man spent a lot of time talking. And it's clear from how the story is told that uh, Cleopas and, and the man, they, they, don't, they don't get it, right? I mean, they don't understand. They don't see the implications of all this stuff. They're just hearing the story for the very first time. This is on the day of the resurrection. And so this is new news. And when we, when we hear about them not getting it and not understanding it, of course there's a part of us, because we know the story and we know how it goes, we want to sort of shake them again, grab them by the, the front of their shirts and say, come on. It's pretty clear. All these things that have happened fulfilled the text of Scripture in the Old Testament. You guys should have been able to catch on really quick. But I hazard a guess to say that if we were in the same position as Cleopas and his friend, we would have been in the same position needing some understanding. So then, what were they talking about? What, what, what is exactly, what would... Cleopas and his friend has been talking about. Well, they would have, of course, been talking about the end events of the day. They would have been talking about the resurrection. They would have said, okay, uh, Jesus rose from the dead. If he did, because they're still not sure, what does that really mean? They would probably pose some questions. What does this all mean? And you can also expect them to say, if Jesus is alive, what's going to happen next? I mean, is he going to restart his ministry? Is this when he's going to take control of the temple? Is this when he's going to be crowned king? Is this when we're going to get the kingdom that Jesus promised to us? Is that what's going to happen next? And, And certainly, you can expect them to say to each other, we didn't expect this to happen. I mean, in Our wildest dreams, if we were making plans about something monumental and incredible in the history of the world, my guess is that all of humanity could spend hours and hours considering it and not come up with the idea of crucifixion, a means of corporal, corporate punishment being the means through which all of humanity is saved. There's no way that they could have expected this to happen. There's no way that they could have known this is how God's going to save us. And the question that we have to pose is, how do you, as a first century Jew, come to grips with God's extraordinary plan that happens in a completely unexpected way. How do Cleopas and this man, and ultimately going back to Jerusalem, and the 11 disciples who are remaining after Judas hung himself, and Mary Magdalene, and, and all the other believers, how do they come to grips with this new reality of the resurrection? And of course, the answer is that they don't. They certainly can't. It is wisdom too much beyond them. 
It's wisdom too much, frankly, beyond us. I think that we still pose many of the same questions that Cleopas and his friend did. We still wonder many of the same things. How many of us have said, what's going to happen next? And what does this all mean when the Spirit moves in our lives? When things happen in our, our, our experience, even if we don't know Jesus, what will happen next? What does this all mean? I didn't expect this to happen. Those are our questions because in many ways, we still are trying, trying to struggle with the implications of the resurrection. What does it mean? And some of us, frankly, have come to certain conclusions that that aren't bad conclusions. In fact, they're true conclusions, and they're important conclusions, but I don't think they are the full and complete conclusions that we should come to when we consider the resurrection of Christ, when we consider what Easter is all about. Because we come to these places... We, we understand that Christ gave us victory over death. Amen? Amen? We know that. Now there's a gateway from death into life. Why? Because Jesus has victory over it. The tomb couldn't hold him. So it's a wonderful truth. It's a powerful truth. It's an incredible truth that we can live in, certainly. And we also know that Christ, as we saw in the video earlier on in the service, Christ took our sin upon him so we, if we know Jesus and walk with Jesus and and, and have received the grace of Christ in our life, the implication of sin for us doesn't become a punishment to death eternal. We are freed from the power of our sin because he paid the price for it. Praise God? Absolutely. Absolutely. And those are wonderful truths. We have victory over death. The price for sin has been paid awesome. But I think we miss a huge part of Easter if that's where we stop. In fact, I would even say that that we've really lost and we've lost the understanding that Jesus was giving to Cleopas and his friend. We lose the full understanding of why the Bible says what it does. And we certainly don't allow God to transform us fully and completely the way that he desires to. I want to sort of get you in the mode of thinking like this. Let's say my family and I went to Paris. Paris, France. And not Paris, Southern California, because that just doesn't sound very fun. We go to Paris, France. And if you go to Paris, France, what do you go see? You're going to go see the Eiffel Tower. I mean, obviously it's a significant, significant landmark, not only for Paris, but really for the world. It's an international landmark. Everyone knows the Eiffel Tower. Now let's say me and uh, Kristen and our three children walk up that long walkway that comes towards the Eiffel Tower. Some of you have been to Paris, France, know exactly what I'm talking about. You're coming up this, this, in this park where the, the tower is, you come up to it, and you're, you're, you approach the Eiffel Tower and you hit the base. You get to the base and you look at the base and you go, wow, this is amazing. 
What an incredible structure. And you look at the, how it's built and you stand underneath it and you look straight up the center of the tower and see all the girders and all the stairways and all the stuff they built in order to make the Eiffel Tower what it is. And maybe on your approach, you look from a distance and saw how it fit into the skyline of the city and said, wow, that's, that's, it's incredible. It just really makes a, a statement of beauty within the city. And we get, we get to the bottom of the Eiffel Tower, and then I look over at Katie and Cameron and Troy and Kristen and say, well, we've done the Eiffel Tower. Let's go, guys. Time to go to the Louvre. What would you say to me if that's my approach to the Eiffel Tower? What did I miss? I didn't go up the doggone thing. Come on. Of course, the huge part of going to Paris, France and going and seeing the Eiffel Tower is going up into the Eiffel Tower on one of the elevators and seeing the view of Paris from the top of the tower, seeing the beauty, seeing what the city looks like from this incredible, extraordinary structure. If you go to the Eiffel Tower... And unless you have an incredible fear of heights that you couldn't handle it and your knees would be knocking and your eyes would be closed the whole time and you don't go up it if there's an opportunity, then I think we would all say that you didn't really do the Eiffel Tower. If we look at the resurrection and say that it gives us victory over death and the forgiveness of sins then it's like us not going up into the Eiffel Tower. We have missed a monumental part of the resurrection. And that monumental part makes all the difference in how we understand Easter and its implications for the rest of our lives. How do we understand this? Well, let's look again at the story of Jesus, Cleopas, and the other man on the road to Emmaus. Do you wonder, as I do, and you know that my brain is messed up, so I wonder weird things all the time. Why would Jesus do the teaching that he did? Why would Jesus go back to the Old Testament prophets? It says in the text, he went back to Moses and the rest of the prophets in order to teach them where Jesus shows up in the text. He was constantly going back into the prophetic words of the Old Testament and saying, here's where Jesus shows up. Here's where the Messiah is. Here's where the Christ makes an appearance in the text so that we get a more full understanding of those stories. And you can imagine Cleopas and his friend going, Whoa, I never thought about that. But Jesus could have said other things. He could have said, you don't get it. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like the parable of the talents. The kingdom of God is like a father who had two sons, one who went off into a far country. He could have done all the teaching that he did with the disciples parabolic teaching, parables. He could have done the kingdom of God stuff, but he didn't do that. He went back to the prophets. Why? Why would he do that? 
Think about the message of the Old Testament prophets. Now, there's a lot of stuff there, certainly, but there's one in particular that I want to concentrate on today. Moses and the prophets have lots of themes, but one is so very important here. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel knew a lot of tough stuff. They knew sin. They knew poverty. They knew oppression. They knew slavery. They knew idolatry. They knew a lot of stuff. But God always promised, and God always did send someone or something to set them free. God always had a plan to redeem his people. Okay, they walk away from God after they enter into the promised land and they live in a life of idolatry. Okay, here's who I'm going to send. I'm going to send Samson. I'm going to send Gideon. I'm going to send the judges. And ultimately, then I'm going to send Saul and David and Solomon. And even when things get really bad and you get oppressed because you're in exile and Jerusalem is destroyed, I'm going to send Ezra and Nehemiah. I'm going to send Isaiah and Jeremiah. I'm going to send Ezekiel so that you know the truth that I have made you free. I will make you free. I am at work in you, my people, to redeem redeem you, not just for the future. Because if I say to you, God, if I'm God, or God speaking and he's saying to his people, I'm going to redeem your poverty, your oppression, your sin, your idolatry in the future when you die. Now that may be comforting on some level, but don't you imagine that the people of God would have certainly got more frustrated? God, we cry out to you because we need your redemption now. And what Christ is saying to Cleopas and the other man on the road to Emmaus is I have come. I have come to redeem. I have come to liberate from oppression, from sin, from idolatry. I am the promised one who sets you free forever. It doesn't have to happen again. There doesn't need to be another judge, another Messiah. I've set you free. And yes, it gives you hope for the future. But you know what? It redeems your present. You are free now. Why? Because when I was on the cross... You died with me. Paul says that later on. When Christ was on the cross, his people died with him. Those who call and claim the name of Christ as Messiah die with him, which means that on Easter morning, if we died with Christ, what happens on Easter morning? We're raised with Christ in the future. Now, right this minute, you and I live in the present power of the resurrection, not just with a hope of the forgiveness of sins, and not just with a hope that someday we will have victory over death, but 
now Christ died. We died with him. He rose. We rose with him. And we have life now to live for him to the praise of his glory. This is a present reality that you and I live in right this second. He's saying to the men, God set his people free in the past. And in me, he's done that work for always. Live in that freedom, not in the future, but now. Now. How many of you out here come to Easter this morning needing to be redeemed from sin? Y'all put your hands up, by the way. I know that I keep on asking funny questions and you don't know when to put your hands up and put them down. I get that. This is a hand up one. We need to be redeemed from our sin. Now, how many of you need to be redeemed from some sort of oppression in your life? A burden. Something that you feel is holding you down. How many of us need to be redeemed from brokenness? from being lost, from being angry and consumed by that anger. I have good news. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for that redemption because in the cross of Christ and in the empty tomb of the risen Savior, you have received freedom from oppression, from sin, from burdens, from doubt, from fear from brokenness, from being lost now. You don't have to sit and wait and say, please, Jesus, come again. Sound the trumpet right now so that I can know this freedom. You don't have to wait until all of a sudden things are crazy in the world and we don't, we don't understand what's going on because God's showing up again and he's saying, time to come with me, folks. We don't have to wait for that because he already did enough on the cross to give you and I freedom from all of those things. The challenge that we often face is we believe and understand the resurrection to be about a future hope and we don't live in the present hope that All of those things have been consumed in the death of Christ. And when he rose, the freedom that comes from new life comes along with it for all of us. You and I experience that now. If you are dealing with oppression, if you are dealing with sin, if you feel those burdens, I am here to tell you that the Holy Spirit offers to you now freedom. Life, purpose, hope, all of the truth that the disciples, that Cleopas and his friend began to understand as they grasped the truth of the resurrection. Christ redeemed us not just for heaven, but for a new life now. 
And certainly, heaven is a comforting promise. And I know that there are many of you, since last Easter, you've said goodbye to someone that you love dearly. And you have the comfort that comes from knowing that the story of your relationship with that person, that story is not at an end because there is heaven ahead. There is the future ahead. There is the new life that we will have when Christ comes to claim his own ahead. All of that is true. But Christ's kingdom has already begun. He already reigns. It's a now thing. Yes, all these other things are true, but this understanding of the present reality of the resurrection grows in us as we understand that in Christ we have nothing to fear. Listen to me. This is awfully important. Because I know, and I talk to some of you, and you tell me of your burden and your fear about some of the changes in our culture, right? I mean, we're fearful sometimes because we see the rise of certain communities that seem antithetical to faith. We see a rise of criticism of the church. We see a generation that understands things um, that, uh, about life and about, about, about faith that just doesn't seem to jibe with how we understand a walk with God. We got questions and we have fears. But listen to me. Christ beat death. Christ beat sin. Christ beat Satan, do you think that he will have a problem with the American Association of Atheists? You think that'll be a problem? Do you think that that's something that Jesus is trembling somewhere saying, how am I going to deal with these people? I don't know what to do. He beat death. Sin has no power. Do you think that he can't work all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose? Do you think that it's not possible for him to continue on in that plan? And how is he going to do that? You and I live in the present reality of the resurrection and the resurrection gives us new life and hope and purpose and meaning. He will use you and I to fulfill his purpose in the kingdom of God. That's the reality of the resurrection. It's the new life now as you and I live within that truth and the spirit empowers us through its presence in our hearts and in our lives, as we know its presence and its work and its leading, as we experience the fullness of following Jesus where he calls us to go, he equips us in the present to be a part of building his kingdom wherever it is that he's going to do it. If it's the atheists, he's going to knock them down. If it's the conservatives or the liberals, he's going to make a change. If it's some other religion, Islam, if it's Hindu, if it's whatever, God will transform through his people who live in the present reality of the resurrection that empowers them to new life, hope, and purpose. That's what he can do and he is doing in us and through us today.
Happy Easter. Which means that we should be challenged to leaps of faith. Hear me here. There are so often times that we're scared. We're scared because what will someone say? What barriers will come? If you are walking towards something in obedience to Jesus, the guy who beat death, don't worry about the things in front of you. Go where he calls you to go and follow him. Because he can clear away. I mean, this guy is the awesome fullback, the best one ever. If he's got a way for you to get in the end zone, you ain't going to get touched when you go through the line. Because that's what he does. He beat death, he beats sin, and he makes a way for us to move towards the kingdom of God as he leads us and as we're willing to follow him where it is that he calls us to go. Our victory in Christ through his resurrection is a present reality. And the Spirit, live in it. Simply live in it. Now, I know life is hard, folks. I get it. I know that there are challenges ahead. I know that there are burdens that I don't know about and others don't know about and you sometimes just feel like you don't know where to go and don't know what to do. But I am telling you that you and I, when we know the grace of Jesus Christ, are empowered to live in the freedom and the hope of the resurrection because Christ did the work already and it has implications for our now. This now, right here, this now. Not when something else changes. Not when something else happens here now in this place. I said it before at the beginning of the surface. He is risen. He is risen Great. We say that often every Easter. Beautiful. Why don't we say it on July 27th? Is it true then? Does it change our reality on July 27? Absolutely it does. It changes our now, right? Every now that we ever experience in this life, this now, and now this one, and now this one, is impacted by the resurrection of Christ. July 27 is impacted by the resurrection for Christ in that now. So is September 4th. So is December 25th. So is February 2nd. So is 10 o'clock tonight. For you and I to live into every single he is risen moment that he gives to us means that we are truly living in to the present life of the resurrection given to us through the empty tomb of Jesus. My challenge for you is don't limit it. Don't limit the present reality of Easter to today. And then Monday comes and you're back into, well, Easter gives me heaven and gives me hope and forgiveness of sins. It gives you a present reality empowered to live. See the kingdom of God grow because Christ is present and when you follow him, he takes you crazy places to do unexpected things because that's the kind of God he is. And folks, if you don't know this truth, this hope, this reality, 
if this is not a truth that is your present now, if you do not know, walk with, follow Jesus, maybe you just haven't heard the truth before. Maybe you haven't understood it in such a way. Maybe you haven't been so burdened by the challenges of life that that you feel there needs to be another way. This morning, there's another way. This morning, the present reality is that Christ died and rose again to give you a completely different existence than you've ever known before. And if you don't know that, I'll be right up here after the service. Bill DeLynn will join me right up here after the service if there are elders present. We want to talk with you about this present reality. Otherwise, frankly, July 27 for you is not the day it's supposed to be. No other day will be until that truth, that present reality changes your life. Would you pray with me? Living God, you are alive. You are reigning now and forever. And you have equipped us through the resurrection of Christ to know new life and hope, purpose. As you taught Cleopas and his friend on the road, God makes a way, always makes a way makes a way for his people to have life and freedom and hope. And you've done that for us. We praise you for it. We give you glory for it. And if we don't know that truth, oh God, make us really, really uncomfortable until we face that truth. Burden our hearts so heavily that we don't know what to do. We don't know where to go until we come face to face with Jesus. And Father, for those who are here living in a spirit of oppression, guilt, fear, sin. Father, bring the resurrection hope to their life, to their present reality now. May they know that you have the victory. And when you have the victory, you give it to us through your grace. Pray these things all in the name of Jesus. Amen.